Hello, this is Sasha. And this is Joe Cabello. And this is Shut Up, I Love It, a podcast where we invite a guest to talk about something that's underrated or underappreciated. Joining us today, he is a legend in the world of screenwriting, clown work, wrestling. What else, Joe? Come on, help me out here. All those things. It's great to have him on the show. Welcome, Chad Damiani. Uh, and also my second appearance. <laughs> it my is second appearance on the it, show. Chad was the very first guest on this podcast, and I missed him greatly since then because that's the only way I ever hear from him is when he comes on to my podcast. And so, wow. yeah. And so he's, an, he, he's an amazing guest. It's my first one with Chad. Yeah. Well, so that's get be ready. Exciting. Strap in and get ready because this is going to be a wild ride, just like the movie we're about to talk about. Chad, what are you here to talk about? Uh, for I've chosen um, Angel Has Fallen from 2019. Um, which is part of the Fallen trilogy, which I which I, I can expand on. But this is one of my favorite. Is it the Has Fallen trilogy or Fallen trilogy? It's just Fallen. I, it's just Fallen. It's just Fallen. Not to be mixed with Agent Has Fallen, which is how I described the movie to Joe wrongly, but not super wrongly <laughs> if you think about it, because I, I figured it out. <laughs> Spoiler alert: the main guy is a CIA agent. Well, technically, Secret Service. Technically, Secret Service. Okay. All right, Chad, could you give us a logline? What's happening? What is this trilogy, and what is this particular film that we're talking about? Okay. I'm going to, guys, I'm going to start right from the beginning, because it's very important you understand the context of this trilogy. So... I'm down for it, because I have a lot of thoughts on this trilogy. Do you, do you have... Did you... You all watched it. I mean, because you're professionals, I know you have, but... Um, oh, yeah, I watched it... So, uh, Two days ago. Very fresh. Okay, great. I watched the film, just to be clear. Like, I finished it minutes before this recording started. So there's nothing... <laughs> it's really fresh. There's nothing fresher in my memory. Like, there's nothing... I, I can remember the details of this film faster than I'll remember what I had for breakfast. So this is, this is like, right there <laughs> in my frontal cortex. So let's get to this. All right. The history of the series, Chad. So, okay, so it all revolves around Secret Service, Service agent Mike Banning, played by Gerard Butler. And right off the bat, what's great about the series is every film so far, and by the way, there are three more coming. So there's three that have been made. They're very popular. They're very popular, especially internationally. They've made a half billion dollars, these three films, <laughs> although they don't get talked about a ton. Like, it doesn't get talked about like Star Wars. Critically slammed, but... Make a lot of money. Is that it, correct? Mixed. I'd say mixed critical. A mixed critical okay. response. 39% on Rotten Tomatoes for Angel Has Fallen, which is not that much. Not that high, is it? I, I think when you... I think critics miss the point of this series, which is it is a love letter to the action movies of the 80s and 90s, so much so that every part of the trilogy is almost a complete ripoff of a popular movie from the 80s or 90s, mm -hmm. but just heightened in the improv sense. Like, you know, like yeah. cop, doctor, president. You know, like they take... Literally. They take... Uh, the first movie, Olympus Has Fallen, is simply Die Hard in the White House. Oh. It's just Die Hard in the White House. Mm -hmm. It's genius. Joe, have you seen that film? Yes. I've seen the first one. I haven't seen the second one. And I kind of want to, in a little bit, get into that. And then, uh, but go on, Chad. And then so so they start there and 
you know, speaking of the second one, which we, we'll, we'll talk about later, it's essentially, you know, it's just like Matt Bourne, but it's the G20 summit. You know, like they keep, the president is always involved. And that one was the most critically panned. And that one is, we will talk later, but that one was a gruesome, bloody mess, but a very entertaining. But still, the president is Morgan Freeman, right? Morgan Freeman, my favorite no, actor. Not at that. Not no? in the second one. He is now. Not, in, in the first and second, it's Aaron Eckhart. Asher. President Asher, I believe. Morgan Freeman actually starts as the Speaker of the House in the early part of the, of the trilogy. And I will say this. This is one of the things that is such an 80s move that this movie does. Even though we're like in a post-Obama era... When the camera hits him for the first time as president, it's like in the 90s when they used to have a black president in a movie, and they <laughs> kind of pause on him and go, check it out, the president's right, black. Right, right. It's, like, it's, it's, it's a very, like, mm-hmm. they underline that fact. Very much like, can you believe it? It's like, we, we had two, two terms of Obama. <laughs> we are totally down with this, but... Um, is, it, is it a little bit more of like, hey, it's Trumbull? Like, is it more of that than it's a black president? Do you think it's doing more of that, saying, hey, it's this character? Joe, my my feeling is they panned to Morgan Freeman the same way they did in Independence Day. That moment of like, you know, like, like that, I guess a sequel to Independence Day. But um, yeah, I don't think so, because he was just the Speaker of the House. Is it such a big deal that Trumbull is now president? I mean, that's a pretty, that's not a huge Well, idea. he was a big character, so... I feel like it was a big character, so it's like, hey, it's this character's now the uh, the president. But you know, you you choose to see racism in it, so that's okay. <laughs> All right, Mr. Cabello. <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> wow, turning this into a whole political debate. No, I'm just I'm just calling what I see. But uh, one, I do uh, do I do want to say like why I think the series is so panned and not respected, and I think it's because it came out at the same time as White House Down. Right, Channing Tatum and yep. Mr. Jamie Foxx were in that movie. It's a very, it's a similar, if not the same movie. Ugh, that hurt it, you know, because it's part of the cursed movies where neither of them really, I think, were so spectacular as to make the other one look, <laughs> or to to make either one of them look like the best or the good one. They were both kind of seemed middling as far as in a critical way. I think they both did pretty well. Um, box office wise but then you get that so it's really not respected because it's like oh it's that movie where there's two of those movies you know even though there's a lot of examples of that um but then uh london has fallen comes out and it looks at least from the trailer it looks like it is just let's take uh, olympus has fallen into london it's both the movie that was already ripping off another movie, and now the sequel of it is just ripping off itself. I think that was a one-two punch for everyone to be like, you know what, the series, it's really not anything special. It's not anything um, high cinema or anything like that. Um, and I'm not one who thinks that movies have to be or anything like that. I love a, a good movie like you know, Angel has fallen. I had a good time with it. But I think that is where critics are coming from, that this whole thing stinks of... Um, instead of it being a love letter to action movies, it stinks of being just a generic action movie. In this film, though, uh, Angel, Mike Banning, he is an angel. And this is how we find him, right, in the beginning. He he is at a military base somewhere in, where is it, Michigan, I think? 
And he's <laughs> basically in the middle of a battle where people just, uh, what looks like are dying, but then it turns out that it's a reenactment. It's just too much. <laughs> yeah, no one puts that much effort into dying. <laughs> he's actually just undergoing training at this military facility <laughs> that's owned by his friend and fellow former army ranger, Wade Jennings. And Danny Houston's crushing it in this, especially in the beginning parts of the movie. He is putting in work. So then just to kind of go over the plot a little bit, Mike Banning is recommended for the position of Secret Service Director by President Alan Trumbull to replace this like other retiring director. But he's actually going through all this crazy PTSD. He's suffering from migraines and insomnia. And he's just a mess. And so then this crazy thing happens. So the president, Trumbull, played by Morgan Freeman, he's on a private fishing trip at this lake. And a swarm of armed drones attack him. It's so crazy. Basically him and his men. And it's a bloodbath. <laughs> And only Banning survives and saves the president. But like so many men die, it's insane. Yeah, yeah they sure. didn't even need to. They didn't need to kill anybody after the president. I was trying to figure that out. And I think the drones were reacting like they're reading two faces, right? So like if you put the, the look the face, like you, you, you look at the sky, the drones read your face and they come at you. And I think there was the guy, like a different agent holding the president and he's like president was looking at the ground. So he never looked up. So the drones never reacted because they never saw his face. Do you think I'm reading too much into this movie? And That's pretty generous. Uh, true. Well, I think they also were avoiding Mike. They were avoiding Mike because they wanted to uh, plant the... Or they wanted to frame Mike. Well, it's interesting because that's what I thought also. But then there was this kind of weird thing where they were acting upset that Mike hadn't been killed. Because they'd already planted all the evidence but like so i'm not sure i feel like joe they were hedging their bets in that like kind of sec like they're like well we're kind of not trying to kill him mm. oh yeah now we can we can do this now we can frame him because we have the opportunity type of thing so i mean this is a world-class frame job they have his prints they've also those over-the-top things that they never really explain like they're just like you have 20 million in an account in the cayman islands like just Somehow it's his account. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is done. I think they had his pubic hair and his, like, blood sample, too, all over that, that van. Yeah, that they got from his helmet. Well, they do that quick shot. Right, they got it from his helmet from the reenactment. Also, it wasn't the pubic. I don't know how they got his pubic hair from his helmet. <laughs> There's a deleted scene where he takes a mini helmet off of his penis, and then they take Just for perception. <laughs> they take a few hairs off of that and put it somewhere. Uh, Danny Houston could talk, uh, and, you know, could sell an Inuit... Uh, ice cubes man if he got him to put on that little helmet for the reenactment <laughs> oh, totally. let's compare our pubic colors i miss those days mike <laughs> so yeah mike mike and the president both survive but when they get to washington back to washington when they're rescued mike is okay and the president is fucked he's in coma total coma i mean he's in real bad shape they have they, they take him to the hospital and this is the thing, too. This is another classic. I would say this is true about Die Hard. I'd say this is true about uh, James Bond, Matt Bourne. It's like no matter how much good the protagonist has done, there is zero faith that he might be innocent. 
I mean, this is a man who has done insane mm-hmm. things for his country, and they're just like, of course you're dirty. But don't you think it's the same like with screenwriting? Like, you're only as good as the last thing you've written. Like, nobody gives a <laughs> shit about anything you've done before or any job in Hollywood, pretty much. It's been seven years since he saved the White House single-handedly from terrorists. What, what have you done lately, Mike? Uh, other than get headaches. You see that with Mission Impossible as well. I think it was the fifth one where they uh they blame ethan hunt and they usually it comes down to like hey this guy has been in it too long he's gone crazy and he has the skills yeah so i think that's how they usually that's like the action movie way of like oh he was bitter because of all that saving he did it's such a shitty thing though like it's like it's sort of that like you can't you can't win for winning or losing like if you're a lousy agent does that make you less corruptible you know like but um, but Banning is like they're a hundred percent convinced that Banning did it, and this is the part I think Joe that I think they were hedging their bets because uh, we meet, meet um I don't know if we've met Jada Pinkett yet. Why is she in this movie? Why is <laughs> she's she Tommy in Lee Jones? She's Tommy Lee Jones from The Fugitive. But she's not. But that's the thing is she's not. <laughs> yeah, she's it's... a good actress too. She has nothing to work with in this movie. Yeah, no. she is. She is a good actress, and to get her and not use her for anything really she you could delete her scenes and it actually would be fine the movie would still work you can just talk about her in the third person and be like there's this like and nobody is going to miss the fact that she's not on screen <laughs> but uh i enjoyed seeing her because i don't see that many movies with her and i know caesar milan the dog whisperer owes his career to her so i that's all of what i was oh. thinking about watching her and she does a fine <laughs> job until spoiler alert she dies in the Pretty much midpoint of the movie, right? Jack? Oh, she gets pu- she gets punked. <laughs> like it's she doesn't even die in any blaze of glory. She just gets shot on a tarmac in the face. I think. I think they forgot she was Jada Pinkett Smith when they <laughs> shot that scene. They're like, oh no, we actually maybe give her a moment, like half. Give her a moment. Let her take out two guys, but nothing. They, yeah. And she looks like such a rube the way she dies. Yeah, her and her partner just immediately. Yeah, they just and, stand there and get shot. And because Danny Houston's plan also in that moment, like he's basically busted and it's just like, all right, well, I guess I'll shoot you if backed into a corner. Like it shouldn't be that easy for a bad guy to just, okay, if I'm back in the corner, I'll just shoot. Agreed. I feel like too, they, they were doing too many movies, right? Like they were doing The Fugitive and they were kind of doing Shooter like the Mark Wahlberg movie, and they're like, oh, we can't, mm-hmm. we got to pick one. And so they just kill her. And they're like, it's not The Fugitive anymore. Yeah. It's, it's, at that point, too, Danny Houston is pretty much like, well, fuck it. We're just going to go for it. Like, we're just going to be bad guys. Like, it was like, he's not even trying to hide it anymore. And it's too early in the movie. But having said that, I think that's the spirit of fun, too, you know. I just wish it was that little bit more fun. Yeah. but Like, if it just give her that moment, make the same I actual fun but uh before she even dies yeah this is just sort of to give the arc for her character which is completely not important to the plot of the film and and we can forget about her unfortunately from now on and not talk about her (laughs) for the rest of this podcast and go back to our guardian angel which has fallen as they do actually say it in the film and it's always nice when a film mentions its title so that has happened. He's under a big you know, suspicion that some shit's going down. And what happens, Chad? So 
at this point, he's being transported, and like he is dead to rights. Like there doesn't seem to be any actual reason to kill him. I mean, there's no way he's going to prove his innocence. But Salient Global puts a strike on his uh, transport, all with the idea of ki- like again. I don't totally understand the scene, and maybe Joe, you have a better uh, understanding. Because who would be coming to save Mike Banning if not the people who really did it? Like, if he ended up dead in this scenario, was the idea that these were, like, American militia? Like, it seemed like they should have just let him go to jail. Yeah. Um, Banning, however, once again, just like at Camp David, he survives and runs. So now they have essentially freed him, but also created a lot of intrigue for... Uh, Jada Pinkett like why did this even happen and then we get a series of scenes of him just it's just the fugitive it's just the scene from the fugitive from that moment on it's 100% the fugitive (laughs) it's pretty wild and it's amazing the truck chase is fantastic it's great it's fun it's simple and there's on this truck right there's a huge truck I don't know how do you call this truck I mean all trucks have different names how do you call this one I think that's an 18 wheeler I don't know all right there you go it's a big ass truck he's driving that truck down a tiny road and there's a huge car chase behind him police cars he overturns this truck there's no way he would survive but of course he does (laughs) he escapes he makes a phone call to his wife knowing right this is a great call this is knowing piper parabo yeah that there's there's uh agents listening to the phone call and he says hello to them while talking to his wife I think, too, we can't – if we're going to talk about how wasted Jada Pinkett Smith is, you cannot pass by Piper Paraboo as his dutiful, super cool wife with no char- no distinguishing character yeah, at all. Zero. Like, this is straight out of the – play again, 80s, 90s playbook. She's just plucky and cool, and she, he loves her so much, and, like, we just, we just have to accept it. She's just a forty-some-year-old yeah. blonde who recently had a baby because she, her menopause is not coming for another twenty years, and uh, <laughs> she's just happy to be mom and uh, wife, and that's all she cares about. Yeah, it's a little more forgivable than Jada Pinkett, <laughs> but it's definitely you know something that they should have figured out. Give her a little bit more, but also who the fuck cares? That's the problem. What's in? Yeah. Uh, in the end, I do want to ask you, Chad, like as a screenwriter, uh, who, a working screenwriter, what as a as a screenwriter, why you like this series? But um, just wondering uh, your take with female characters like that, especially the wife character who's playing a very specific, uh, not even role, a very specific like I don't know. She's almost like a tool, just like hey, this yeah. is just a person to an show an excuse, really, an object. Some, like like a, it's like an object to care about yeah what's what's your take on that given that uh the the solutions might be give her more but then there's the the film does it doesn't serve the film to have her you know have that much more to her character or it's to get rid of her entirely which then you're kind of left with a little more emotional weight this is screenwriting podcast by the way we're we're gonna have chad rewrite this whole movie right here right now (laughs) but um is that something that bothers you or something what's your take on it you know it's funny because you do deal with this a lot and like i think the issue here is they're following a playbook of a movie from the late 80s or early 90s where 
you know, it does feel like whether it's Jada Pinkett or Piper Parabu, it's just like we didn't write any women. <laughs> Like, like two, it's like yeah. almost like two months into the process. They're like, Whoa, we, we don't have any women. <laughs> and instead of like what you should do, which is uh, Danny Houston's female or yeah. like finding a role, like saying like we're going to gender swap a role. What they end up doing is they make the women really sassy or like they don't take any shit. Or their babies, which is his daughter. Yeah, the one, yes. the one other woman is the daughter. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's also technically... Played played by 10 different actresses. A soon-to-be woman. I would say, too, what's so interesting to me is this this series, it doesn't come from a novel or a book or anything. It was created by uh, Crichton Rothenberger and uh, Katrine, I believe, Benedict. So it's like a it's a man-woman team who created this series. You know, So it's not just a guy who did it. But yeah, like I guess for me... There's that sort of like I just enjoy that this reminds me of the movies that I saw when I was like in like between say like fifteen and twenty five or you know like but like we're talking nineteen twenties right nineteen twenty yeah nineteen fifteen <laughs> to nineteen twenty five this was uh right at the just the start of the talkies um, <laughs> but uh but yeah no it's you know I, I what I have what I learned I, I wrote um. I wrote a, a script. I've written many scripts for many very important people that never made those movies. Uh, not to brag, <laughs> but um, I can remember um, right at like sort of the height of his popularity. Not that he's like not bookable now, but um, my writing partner and I we wrote a script for Zac Efron, and it was like about seven years ago. Shout out, Sh- loyal listener Friend of the show. <laughs> Shout out to Zac, uh, who's a very nice guy. Um, <laughs> And it was about casino hosts, and uh, we wrote this script, and we 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 ran into this exact thing where the only character we had of any note that was a woman was kind of like his the woman he was chasing, this love interest, mm-hmm. and it just didn't seem like we could make her integral to the plot of this casino host trying to pull off a big deal. So we we went in and we're like, let's just pick the second most important character and let's just turn it into a female, like. And you know what the most interesting part was? We didn't have to change anything. Like, I think yeah. when we first did it, we're like, oh, we're going to have to go through the whole script. And we didn't have to change Did- anything. Well, what about her periods, Chad? <laughs> what about her periods? I mean, that's that's just like denying reality. Like, how is that not written into your script? We change stage direction, Sasha. Once in a while, we just have her clutch <laughs> her vagina. Like She just a- reaches down and there's no explanation. But blood. you know what is going on. Yeah. When you when you change the character's gender, did you do that in the first act? Or did that happen in the, the third act? It was, yeah, you mean, was it like a gender reassignment in the third act? Yeah. I mean, because that seems like a waste, like a waste of pages to have like a gender reassignment scene. But I don't know. It was a twenty-minute scene in the second act of a of a tertiary character, and we did get notes on it. Hey, you we know what? We're like, this seems anything, anything to make the second act more exciting. Anything. <laughs> right? We really <laughs> needed something. That script did need something. To be honest with you, we could have used the gender reassignment. Speaking of, um, and this may be for the future, but uh. I just did, so funny you should bring this up, I just watched, did you guys ever see The Assignment with Michelle Rodriguez, the the um, Walter Hill movie? No. Which is essentially no. uh, an assassin, um, as an act of revenge on an assassin, after he pulls a job, he's kidnapped and given forced uh, gender reassignment. Oh. Um, oh, wow. 
Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, it, it's not for this podcast because it's like legit. Like this movie's I really love. This was great because it was so bad. Yeah, it was like I actually. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna check that out now. Yeah, I heard check it about out. it. Didn't know Michelle what it was Rodriguez about. in full male drag for 40 minutes, and she like it is some of the worst male drag I've ever seen in my life. Did she get the like a backlash from uh, like people who thought maybe she didn't deserve to be playing that part or? I don't think anyone even knew this. Like I was <laughs> when I found this movie wasn't big I was enough. Like, what is this? And it is like it's. I mean, Walter Hill. If you know anything about Walter Hill, he make he's made a lot of great like B movies. And I think this is just like eighty year old Walter Hill making a movie. And um, I mean, too, there's one point where um, Michelle Rodriguez is walking around naked, and they've done like a full. She's they've given her a hairy chest. And, oh wow! And they oh, wow. and and like a nine inch dong. Like oh, just wow. like God. I mean, it's so great. It's such a great choice. Like That's I was just such... like it was. That's such so a choice because, like, you have to make that choice. No, you do. We have to make an. We ex- have to make an exception for this podcast and bring that movie in somehow. Somehow, somehow. I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna watch it all. Report in, but isn't like the person? Maybe the director says, "Make it average." So then the the special effects <laughs> person has to decide what average what is average. what they want to present. <laughs> averages, because that's a that like depending on if that's a man, and he's been told to make it average. They're like, oh, is this what you think average is? If you make it too small, they're like, oh, so you must be like barely bigger than this. If you make it too big, they're like, oh, you're trying to lie. Not to uh, take this train completely off the rails, but that's that what you're talking about there uh, is a big plot point in the last season of Kirby Enthusiasm. Highly recommend. Oh, Oh, uh, who would have thought? Dong size is a huge plot point? Yeah. uh, Marty Funkhauser's nephew gets uh, gender reassignment surgery and there's the consideration of how big the penis is and that like th- it, it like leads into like a plot a plot point of the of the show Larry oh, don't talk about my <laughs> nephew's penis okay Larry he's uh, he, he's dead so he couldn't do yeah that. he's he's not in the episodes but your impression makes it sound like he's on his deathbed. Joe's impression is seconds before he died. Inappropriate. He's a friend of the show. To pick up the train and put it back on the rails. So where are we at? Well, at no better time? way than Nick Nolte. Let's talk about Nick Nolte for a second. Oh, my God. Okay, so is Nick stellar. Nolte... Nick Nolte has just become the creature he is in Mandalorian. Like, there is no <laughs> difference between the creature in the Mandalorian and Nick Nolte. So he is, of course... The dad of Mike's. Mike Banning's dad, yeah. But the introduction of the characters is like, we're like, what the fuck? I was supposed to be, was supposed to think what the fuck is going on because he's got his gun on Mike and he's about to shoot him and he just looks like a crazy old man. Exactly. And they're in the middle of nowhere in West Virginia and it seems like Mike is in big trouble until, of course, he says, what's up, dad? Hello, son. Sasha, let me tell you something. This is a culture thing, Sasha, because I, and I would put money on this. Joe, did you immediately know that Nick Nolte was Mike Banning's dad? Uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much. Uh, I would have been surprised if it wasn't. It's a trope from '80s movies. The old, like, you see the old mountain man, and it's your dad. Like, this is like what I mean. Like, this is like such a deep cut trope from these movies. And they pulled this thing out in 2019. Oh, I love being in in the pure virgin state for this type of movies because Die Hard is pretty much like the only movie that I have. Well, and the Jesse Ventura one, uh, Predator, are like the ones that I've Mm -hmm. seen and love 
uh but like the rest of them sure yeah like i don't even i realize that i am <laughs> i look at this movie with the eyes eyes of a child who had never seen mm. anything like this before that's really lucky for certain genres or maybe even yeah. all genres to be able to have that because yeah it's you know as you guys both are writers you end up being a step ahead a lot of the times just because you know you're training your brand in certain ways uh, it annoys jay a lot when i start calling out lines and they exact same lines as the character is saying he's right behind <laughs> yeah. me isn't he i always love a good he's right behind me isn't he um but yeah that must be really fun to like be able to watch this and not know that's the father or the father figure and also like it's that thing where like if we really take a deep dive nick nolte is this sort of you know he's he's this veteran of a, a military veteran also it seems like he did some government work I mean, he has completely abandoned his family. He's been living like the Unabomber for years. And it's kind of just glossed over. You know what I mean? He's just like, I made some choices. You know, like, you hopefully someday you don't have to make choices like he this. He's a bonker. Right? It's like, this guy has done dark shit. I guarantee it. He should not be around young children, just as a thought, right there. Thank you. He should not be around his, Mike Banning's daughter. Jesus. Oh, spoilers for Act 3, but anyway, keep going. Yeah, do you think that, like, that guy's just going to be normal? Uh, I, like, just because right? of a bad situation? Like, Who hey, is... guys are trying to kill you. It's time for him to act normal. I mean, no. what, a, what a cool, like, again, maybe it's my uh, virginal eyes. How cool is it that the reason, the wound behind this character to have left his family when he was young is because he didn't want to make them unhappy because how crazy he is. The war has made them crazy. Oh, what a bullshit excuse too. Like what a dad yeah. excuse. I love that. Like in terms of like writing, I was like, what a what a great mental health comment. I Terry. feel like more dads need to do that and just be like, <laughs> you know what? I'm an asshole. I think I'm just gonna cut out of I here. I did it for you. And the, I did it for you and your mom. Like he's just and you know he's so he's and the thing is Nick Nolte totally brings it like. He always he always does. Like he's just like he is the delivering these lines. Uh, we should mention here that by this point, Tim Blake Nelson, the vice president, in a, and also in a very dramatic scene, which they did as if we've never seen this scene before, and we've seen it a thousand times. He gets um, uh, what's the word? He he gets a uh, sworn in, and it's and it's like we're talking real dramatic score, and like he makes like a big pause before he accepts the presidency, and within hours. Uh, announces that Russia is responsible for working with Mike Banning and that they are going to hire Salient Global and like that all this stuff's good. Like he is making power moves within hours when he should just mm. be kind of sitting on this position. Like, and no one's saying, God, the vice president really, you know, take a breath here. Let's let this <laughs> yeah. kind of collector. He is just signing bills. He is like making mandates, and it's like 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 Sasha said, it's like oh this guy's bad. Like you're like, there's no way, this guy's not bad. He doesn't look like a good person. He looks evil. He did. He looked like a worm. <laughs> so the dad and son reunion goes pretty well, right? They seem to get along pretty good. I don't know what uh, Nick Nolte was so worried about. Um, yeah, Mike doesn't have much of a like scars from it. Not at all. Dad, you left. But Banning's too cool for scars. Like, Banning's too cool for internal scars. That's true. Um, this leads to our most comedic action scene, which is also a bloodbath, which is the explosives. And essentially, Nick Nolte has planted um, landmines and bombs all around the property <laughs> and proceeds to murder 50 people. Like With 
different buttons. I mean, and also dying in an explosion is one of the worst ways to die. You know, like let's be let's be frank. It's like having your body torn apart, and it is the most. It is treated like such a comedy scene. I was expecting him with all the switches he had. I thought he would like throw some leaves off of a piano and then just be pressing piano keys that start <laughs> spark explosions. Like it was getting to that level because he's like, "Well, look at this button, click, boom, and look at this button too." Yeah, and he knows them all. <laughs> and there's this final explosion. And to Sasha's point, there's been maybe 40 explosions so far on every piece of the property. And this last explosion is a thousand explosions. Like it's so (laughs) over, like he has destroyed the entire forestry of this mountain in this last explosion to finally kill off the rest of these men. And again, burned to death, like disemboweled, ripped apart. And it's just like, and banning is like, Jeez, Dad, what are you up to, Dad? That was intense. It also killed a lot of uh, koalas and other kangaroos and other animals. Yeah, for sure. Live in that you area. just you listed the two animals that a hundred percent weren't there in West Virginia. <laughs> well, no, it's a couple of koalas in West Virginia. Yeah. And think about all the guys who didn't die right away from it. Like, there's probably oh, yeah, a good like sure. fifteen guys just like half dead writhing around in the grass and they don't even go and like check on anybody they just they just leave. do you think those were real stunts chad or do you think there were a lot of computer i mean obviously the explosions were cg but what do you think about all those body parts flying around i think there was quite a bit of cg blood and cg body parts i think they kind of set now this is the first of this of the trilogy to use a lot of cg um, you know, because the drones obviously are also, mm-hmm. um, so I think they were already kind of in that mindset. But to Joe's point, I would totally watch an, a, a like a companion movie, which is just ninety minutes of three friends from Salient Global, <laughs> just like half ripped apart, just kind of making peace with their maker. As as, yeah. as Banning and his dad have just already left. A one-act play. <laughs> so at this point, Mike Banning's got to do something desperate. First thing he does, which we've all voiced our disapproval, sends his dad to be with Piper Paraboo and his daughter to protect them. The dad almost accidentally finds out that his son has a wife and a daughter. It's almost like... <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> as he's leaving, he like mentions that he has Leah and, I don't know, Lola... I'm just going to call her Lola, the little girl. Yeah, I have no idea what the daughter's (laughs) name is. She was terrible. I have to go find Leah and wife. (laughs) And uh, I like actually how editing works in that scene because once he says, oh, you have a wife and a daughter, Mike says, I do. And he keeps walking away and then we close on the dad's face and we just know he's about to kick some ass. And that's where we get immediately. Oh, and again, Piper Paraboo is not like... It, at least I, I, if she is, I was unaware that she like has a military background or has dealt with death or murder. But when, you know, these two salient global guys show up to sort of take her hostage to force Mike Banning to kind of come to Wade Jennings. And, uh, you know, Nick Nolte shows up and murders these guys right in front of mm-hmm. both of them. And, <laughs> and it's just like such a relief. It's just like, oh, thank God you're here. And, and he's like, and they're like, I'm your grandpa. And they just totally are like, I guess that's okay. Yeah, that would be traumatic. <laughs> oh, so great. And you know that guy stinks. Oh, that guy oh my God. stinks so bad. That guy pooped his pants on the way there 
four times. <laughs> deleted another deleted scene. He doesn't even have a toilet. That's just what he does. He just poops his pants, throws them out, gets new pants. That's what he's been doing for twenty years. And so, meanwhile, the president moves his finger, right? Is that where we're at in the president? Like, arc? But, yeah, they're, they're, they're slow burning. The president is waking up. They're re- I mean, and it's a slow. I mean, this is like crockpot slow burn. It's like he is waking up real slow. Do you think Morgan Freeman came in just to shoot that day just to move his finger and then he left? It wasn't his finger. Well, but they do have like a close up once in a while. But yeah, otherwise, I don't think it was his finger. Although I felt like that move of the finger was pretty like in, there was a lot of intention behind it like it wasn't like some wannabe body double moving that finger like when he moved that finger i was like this was president acting. is gonna fucking kick some ass so. it was acting um so mike banning then in what is like one of the most one of the worst ideas but he's just like this is a mike banning move he breaks into the hospital where the president is being held allows himself to be captured gets an audience with the president and sort of pleads his case and the president believes him even though everyone else is telling him we have all this insurmountable evidence the president is like uncuff that man yeah he's like that's mike banning guys thank you right i don't care what evidence now when the president is awake and he's ordering to unhandcuff him do you think like he immediately becomes like the president instead of vice president the active president like you know what i mean like do we know that he's mentally there to be acting as the president? Like, people blindly listen to him, but he just woke up from coma. Yeah, I guess, technically, the minute he wakes up, he's president again. But but this is also one of those 80s, 90s movies muddy points where it seems like he has to get to the White House to be president again. <laughs> like, like, like yeah, he, yeah. he has to tag a button or, t- like, get to the Oval Office and, like, grab a flag. Like, because... Really, people are listening, but it's kind of like Tim Blake Nelson is still running shit for sure. And essentially, Banning's like, hey, listen, Wade Jennings is coming here. Because at this point, as we would mentioned earlier, Jada Pinkett has been killed. Wade Jennings is full road. Shot in the face. Yeah. And, And then we have a series of action scenes that, I mean, I love this movie, but certainly these were like, kind of just felt like, oh, this is what needs to happen at this point. The shootout. Yeah, not a lot of emotion there. Not a lot of emotion yeah. going on at all. This is where I checked out. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> I will say that like I will say I think they redeemed themselves with the last couple moments, but this was not my favorite part. But I still enjoyed it because like I said, it's just sort of like it's just like sparking an old nostalgia. But essentially with very few people, Mike Banning kind of sets up this like they hide the president in this office building and Wade Jennings comes in with all his men, and they build to this scene, which again, Sasha, I don't know if you got to enjoy it, kind of being an action virgin, but like we, <laughs> Joe and I, I guarantee you, have seen the scene a million times where it looks like they're going into the office where the president is, <laughs> and then when they kick the door open, it's a different, like, it's a, it's a different office. Yeah. I think they're in like a mail sorting room or something like that. <laughs> But there's a desk. That's what threw me. There's, but you're right. It was like it's it, a, a doorless office. It's, yeah, they're, they're in some like other dimensional room. That's true. It does look like maybe it's out of Stranger Things or something. Like they're going to transport a completely different genre. Like, yeah, I do want to. I want to go back, watch it, and pause on that moment just to study what that room and like the architecture of it. But oh, sure, it'll not hold up, Joe. At the same time, uh, just <laughs> let it be. 
but but like to me though that is again not to like kind of keep repeating but like that's a scene that just got beat to death for 15 years and to see them treat it <laughs> like it's fresh like they're so committed to like you guys know this scene and it can work well it worked that scene a, a scene like that can work if yeah. it's done new and fresh like the lead up to it is and it's surprising but I, this one doesn't really do anything new, fresh, or surprising with it. It's just like, no, here it is. Now, so far, yeah. we've mentioned the nostalgia appeal of this film. Do you think that's why we have Gerard Butler, a man in his at least 50? For sure. Uh, appealing to, like, you know, his peers, people who grew up. And we all know that Chad is 95 years old, so he could be his grandfather practically, right? <laughs> But I mean, I but, could have been Nick Nolte in this movie. I could have been Nick <laughs> <laughs> but um, do you, do you think there's something like to be like, oh, this is not the young, you know, hero. It's it's a mature hero. It's a hero who's got a back yeah. pain that probably all men in their fifties have, and things like that. I, I feel like this is such an interesting point, Sasha, because I do feel like Gerard Butler is just a guy who was born maybe fifteen, twenty years too late. Like he totally mm-hmm. has. Like that Clint Eastwood, Charles Bronson, like like he's he's this sort of rugged kind of like you believe him as a tough guy. He's not pretty, and I, I feel like he does speak to like these movies that came out where there was like this older weathered cop who like you know like would just get the job done and didn't take any shit. And so these movies sort of like I'd be very surprised if there are people in their teens and twenties who are like apeshit bananas over the fallen trilogy i do think it speaks to you we'll find out i think they are though you do i think there's like an uh, a movie going audience who just loves a, an action movie like the the next big action movie that comes out and they're not too discerning on the the protagonist being this guy or that guy and gerard butler's just been teed up as an action guy for a long time yeah uh pretty much he's owned that shit for long since he was pretty young since he was young so i think it's more just they're they cast him he pushes for these movies they do well so he continues to be in action movies especially fallen because the other fallen movie was how how long ago and but 300 before that um, the first one was 2013 so this has been going on for like seven they've been making it for like seven well so i guess seven years and then you had 300 way before that so i think he's just like yeah. the action guy who is willing to do this type of movie um and the rock is similar and these movies are well made too joe to be fair like these are high budget like there's these are not like shoddy these are well produced like well scored they look great yeah. well and, surprisingly yeah, I mean, this movie cost 40 million dollars it says on wikipedia wow. it looks like a much more expensive movie 40 million agreed yeah i mean th- this is the the pinnacle of like non-marvel action movies you can get in the theater in a lot of ways so i i know why it's popular and why you know people would want to check out gerard butler doing it but the fact that it's only cost 40 million dollars i mean it definitely it's it, it looks more expensive than a medium budget movie yeah it looks really good i'm sasha i didn't know that number and i'm shocked like yeah i thought this was a 75 million dollar movie for sure i think the first one was 70 and they made uh you know 148 million dollars box office so fucking cashing out cashing out now just to go back to that action scene that 
didn't keep us too engaged, but then we did, you know, learn that the president finally arrives at the White House. What happens? How does it end, right? So it crazy the explosion. Yeah, but somehow yeah. Mike Mike fucks them up somehow. Yeah, well, Mike keeps them there. What what happens is you know, through this like ruse where he's hiding the president, he manages to keep um to keep them there while like authorities show up and then Mike Banning has a fight with uh Wade Jennings on the top of the building. My favorite fight in the whole movie. The angel versus the devil himself. I mean, really, and like they're doing the whole thing that that '80s thing I love, where like there's just a lot of back and forth talking going on between fighting. I love that. Like, I mm. love when it's just like they exchange some moves, and and they're really it's interesting. Like this fight, they're trying to show is like almost like two tacticians because it's it it all it ends with Mike Banning just getting a knife into the armpit, like this very tactical strike, and then he kind of just holds his best friend. To let him well, have yeah. an honorable death. There's such even before that. There's a great moment where once he gets the hit, uh, Wade Jennings could have easily, you know, swung and probably struck uh, Mike Mike Jennings. What <laughs> Mike or whatever? <laughs> Mike Banning. It's so tough. Wade Jennings and Mike Banning. It's insane that they did this. But it's like once he gets the armpit shot, Wade Jennings is done. He. His whole body language isn't just, oh, I'm now incapacitated. It's, oh, he got me and it's over, even though I could still move. There's right. such a moment where even Mike stands next to him with his guard completely down after he gets the hit. Because they're both such those guys who know when another guy is won. Don't you, didn't you feel like this scene in particular, the whole movie really would benefit it from like 80s action movie soundtrack? I wouldn't mind a cut. I wouldn't mind seeing a cut of that. Yeah. A cut of just like... That sounded like bluegrass. A lot of banjo. I would watch a bluegrass cut. You know, can you imagine that classic 80s track? A full bluegrass fallen cut. But, you know, the electronic action sequence music... Uh, would have been like I think it would have been pretty cool, but instead we just hear that same drone that's been going on for the whole movie, and we see the man die right in front of our eyes. We we watch him die. Banning's with him the whole time, and like and they're really despite what he's done, Banning is kind of not giving him too hard of a time. <laughs> so no, just like it's uh, he doesn't even say like like any accusation really. Nothing. <laughs> Does the helicopter blow up before that? Yes. Yeah, the, the, the helicopter, all that explosion stuff, that has all gone on, and that has trapped Wade Jennings on the roof. The, um, um, and is that before the hospital explosion? Oh, gosh. Um, the hospital explosion just happened, guys. It, like, it's yeah. insane. The <laughs> amount of devastation. I think it is after the hospital explosion because Banning isn't in a rush, but I don't remember completely. Yeah, because that hospital explosion, man. Holy like, shit. Holy wow. shit. People will die for months after that event just from the lack of hospital care they'll be able to get as they rebuild that. <laughs> this is basically the closest to 9-11 we've seen in the film. Like, do how many people yeah. died, how big of an explosion is, and how much dust, asbestos, and it's just all horrible particle matter landed in that city. It's like, crazy. It's, 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 a, it's a devastating event, and it's been shot... In, from different angles and they're played over and over for quite a while it's huge 
and it's just kind of like it's it's no no different than if like a car would have exploded to them or like the jungle exploded. <laughs> they really don't they really don't react as if they have sort of been responsible for thousands of deaths <laughs> even if those buildings were empty oh yeah the amount of destruction is so obscene that even if not a single human life was lost it's pretty bad but but again, just another day at the office for Mike Banning for sure. Mm-hmm. For the, for the guardian angel. So we build then to a scene. So like this is the real like supposed to be satisfying payoff scene. The president, Mike Banning, everyone they kind of show up. They confront Tim Blake Nelson, and what we find out is Wade Jennings had kept a dossier of conversation. Like he is Tim Blake Nelson is nailed to the cross, and there was I forget who played. Um, was it Lance Reddick? Like yes, yeah, I love that dude from The Wire. Yeah, so Lance Reddick, who's been injured, but his big reward is that he gets to take um, Tim Blake Nelson on the perp walk in front of all the press. And, like, again, this is treated with such, like, this is the big, like, like, who gives a shit? Like, this guy. No, yeah, because you don't even care. There's, like, this guy's life is over. He doesn't care about the perp walk. I mean, so much more is coming. And but it's treated like and Tim Blake Nelson is selling this like a nail to the spine. Like he's like just walking out. He's so humiliated that the press get to see him get into the car. Oh, so good. I mean, I also feel like as much as I love Lance, if we cut him out, it would not be a big deal in this film. Like And unfortunately too, it seems like a race thing, doesn't it? Like yeah. two women and the and like the sort of you have Mark, Morgan Freeman, black actor in a coma, ninety percent of the movie. <laughs> Lance Reddick, bare like all he does is disagree with Mike Banning, and Mike Banning's always right, so he looks yeah. like a dipshit. Yeah, yeah. So then, of course, we find out that the grandfather was invited to live from now on with Banning and his family, and no one's questioning it. <laughs> Such a bad idea. Even though he was proven right. <laughs> Like his whole thing, he was proven right to live in the woods and have explosives. Yeah. Yet he's like, I think it's time to go back to normal society. He will put bombs and explosives all around that house in the suburbia, like where they live. Oh, yeah. And he's just going to kidnap that daughter. Like he's just, he just doesn't make good choices. No. And he's probably gotten worse with the, with his age. Sure. We're talking a guy who is essentially saying, I haven't been around human beings for decades. And it's just like, yeah, just take the spare bedroom, dad. It's like, this guy needs to be in a halfway house, kind of get reacclimated to society, see a therapist. He's wearing this like light, like spaghetti, like Kelvin Klein sweater. (laughs) And like his beard in the same condition, like it looks, it was like recently shampooed, but like he's still got like a crazy look in his eyes. And I'm like... Why is Mike not saying anything right now? This is the moment for him to say something. Like, this is not enough. His father is still insane. He's the real villain in this film in some ways. You think so? Wait, Mike Banning or the dad? The dad. (laughs) This There is a comedy that happens after this, though, about... Uh, Nick Nolte living with the family and it's kind of like what about Bob <laughs> what's that movie with Mark Wahlberg and um, and uh, uh, the guy from Saturday Night Live the one where they Daddy's Home Daddy's Home well that's Daddy's Home 3 for sure <laughs> Banning and Nolte move in yes. so now you've got <laughs> like three levels of hell in terms of dads and sons it's a lot of dadage but there's this moment too like, and this is like I said it's stuff that I, I don't think really flies anymore which makes me laugh is 
you know, they just show for like a half second Nick Nolte being an okay grandpa. Like He's just like kind of speaking in a slightly gentle voice to this child. And it's like we are supposed to take away from that as an audience. Like he's got this. He's going to be a pretty good grandpa. He'll be fine. Uh, and then we have a brief scene where Morgan Freeman came in and got paid a lots, of, lots of money to tell Mike Banning that he will indeed become the director of Secret Service. And that's the, and now the series is kind of now and I, I don't know where it's going. Like I said, three more movies have been um, agreed to. I mean, they are profitable. Uh, Gerard Butler's in for all three. Um, and and just so you know, like in terms of popularity, while maybe not in the United States, they're looking at TV formats. Like they're looking at Mike Banning TV shows. Like they definitely are growing this sort of franchise. Like and and what I think I like about it too is you know you you mentioned this movie was forty. I don't think a mo one any of these movies have been more than like seventy five or eighty. Like they're finding ways to sort of make a big profit without making that sort of Marvel Universe 250 million investment to sort of make a big movie. So, like, they can churn these out with with uh, Gerard Butler and sort of just keep playing. I mean, where do you go from here is certainly the question I would have. Like, it just, it was, I felt that way with Die Hard, too. Well, they, yeah, they say the same for Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious went right to almost supernatural. Like, you know, like, think they started testing the rules of physics. I wonder what they'll do with this series. Yeah, I think it'll end up uh, getting to some weird places, space and oh my god, space futuristic. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna fight a robot. There's no way he doesn't fight a robot. Is it like a robot, Mike Banning? <laughs> yeah, or like a robot composed of various drones that like can separate into drones and then come back into the pretty cool. Oh wow, that's pretty good. Liquid metal? Maybe it'll be liquid metal. Oh, guys, we're all pitching. We're all pitching. So that concludes pretty much the the movie, right? So, uh, Chad, why do you love this film so much that you brought it today to this podcast recording? Well, you know, I think just even this podcast is like, this movie does a great job of like taking old familiar clothes, like kind of stuff you wear to bed and sprucing it up. It's like, it's this perfect mix for me of all these things that like, when I watched them when I was young, had this sort of real effect on me. And I was in the movie theater, surprised and shocked. And then I got older and then sort of could see these tropes and the machinations and the mechanisms. And they're just absolute commitment to sort of repurposing them and doing them over. You know, I, here's a great analogy. Uh, maybe it's not great, but here's the analogy I'll be offering. <laughs> we'll I'll be, be the, the judge. judge. <laughs> yeah, you guys be the judge. That's, that's really arrogant of me to say. So when I watch John Wick movies, I watch those movies and think, you guys are making fun of action movies by doing the greatest action movies I've ever seen. Like John Wick 3 Parabellum is like, those scenes are so over the top, and yet in a way they're the best like um, low-tech physical fight scenes I've ever seen. And this series is the complete opposite where they are just putting all their heart and soul into the same old tired ideas. And through the through their commitment to that, they make those ideas fresh again for me. And like I get to enjoy them like I did when I was in my 20s or teens. And so, yeah, like I'll watch. There's no fallen movie that will come out that I won't be at a theater to watch. All right. Well, I think it's time we rate this film. How about that? Good. When we rate the subject of the podcast, we create each individually a scale where 
a 10 point scale where we put another movie or whatever the subject might be similar to the one we discussed uh, high up so we can compare this film in relation to that so i'll start i would take the scale and put dragged across concrete at 10 so dragged across concrete is a 2019 film directed by craig zeller it's with Mel Gibson, I know, I know, and Vince Vaughn and a <laughs> bunch of other people. But it's a great film. Like, I love that action film. It's was only made for $15 million, and probably most of it went to those two stars. And it's freaking scary as hell, and it's amazing. And I love it as much as I love Die Hard, which is one of my favorite films. So if those films are a 10, I'll give Angel Has Fallen a 6. Not bad. Not bad, slightly better than neutral, because yeah. I do agree that there's something very pure about it. I, I guess, it, it, you know, it's a studio film, like right? Because it was dis- at least distributed in probably like Lionsgate, right? I think it was. Yeah, like, Lionsgate distributes a new image, I think, is the, the main production company. I thought it was pretty, like, easy to follow, and they didn't pretend to be something it's not. Like, it was very clean cut. Yeah. And I would, like, enjoy a little more nostalgia in it, like, straight up nostalgia like the music if soundtrack was more just copying the soundtrack no banjo but actual soundtrack from the 80s action movies <laughs> and I'm I, you know nothing against Gerard Butler but like if maybe he was like the character like an actor that had a little more more charisma that like would appeal to me Whoa. he just felt very blah to me a six he's definitely not an Arnold replacement or uh uh, Will Smith replacement, you know, he's not on that level. No. But he's good. But he's good. He's he's fine. So I'll give it a six. I have to say I love Morgan Freeman and anything he's in just adds automatic point for me. I had a, such a pleasure of meeting him years ago in New York. I was shooting with like me and my friend an industrial video of this big gathering at Four Seasons in Manhattan for a charity event my friend and I my friend KJ and I were outside in the hallway eating like some catered food and like taking a break waiting for Morgan Freeman to show up and so he shows up he sits next to me and he's drinking absolute and cranberry which he says is the only thing he drinks and he like starts eating from my plate oh my god and it was the cutest <laughs> it was the cutest moment I was not creeped out at at all he was just like this like nicest guy and then i said can i take a picture with you and he said yeah and i have this picture where it looks like we've just been married for 20 years because like we're just so close on that picture that's cute oh that's amazing joe what about you and we'll end with chad well i will say i i am a fan of schlocky action movies old action movies i don't mind when a new action movie comes out and it's a little rough around the edges and you know doing fridge tropes and things like that uh, I'm, and I've, I'm one to defend movies like this when people talk shit about it, because I think there's such a, people say, oh, that movie sucks. Like, why do they even make those? And well, they made three of these has fallen or fallen trilogy movies because they make a lot of money. So somebody's enjoying them. They're good. Like they must be somebody in Russia. He's watching them. <laughs> you know, the Chinese audience who love Gerard Butler. But these, there is something here. There has to be. You don't make that much money without there being something there. I was excited to watch this. I really did enjoy it. 
but I'm going to rate it on a Jean-Claude Van Damme scale. Oh, that's that's hmm. going to be rough for Gerard. So let's say um, uh, out of Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, like Lionheart is maybe like a top tier, really solid movie. This is a double team. Oh, wow. It's still really fun, but it's just not bringing it like other Jean-Claude Van Damme movies do. So this is a double team S out of the Jean-Claude Van Damme scale. <laughs> and what about numbers? I need some numbers. I guess that's kind of like a, it's a five, five or six. Wow, I rated it higher than Joe. Yeah. Or le- more confidently rated it at a six than Joe did. Chad, what about you? I will be rating this movie on an Avengers Endgame scale. Wow. Oh. Is that a bad or a good thing? I can't tell. Well, I, I think that, and that's the point. Um, so, <laughs> you know, all these movies come out and like, we, we've had such a like influx of these super expensive, super high CGI, like our, the new action film is almost, you know, even Fast and the Furious, like we discussed, everything is supernatural or superheroes and, you know, Endgame is like three hours and there's so much going on and there are certainly good moments in that movie, but for me, like, as just a baseline of enjoyment, this movie goes down so smoothly. It's like you just relax. It's not a movie that I even, you know, it's, it's got that perfect mix of it's smooth and easy to consume, but I'm having fun. <laughs> and, and I also don't feel like I need to pause it a bunch and go do other shit. Like, like that's always a sign for me that yes. a movie doesn't cut it. If you're yeah. like, I, oh, I'm going to go do my dishes and come back. Like, I, I really kind of, it, it holds me, you know, I'm, I'm having a good time. It probably lacks a couple of those like superstar epic moments, but in general, the flow and just the familiarity and the commitment all kind of just hit the perfect spot for me. So on the Avengers Endgame scale, I give it a nine. And where's the Avengers? At one? Oh, I was giving the Avengers Endgame a 10 because I do think it, at the end of the day, it's still more a better movie. Okay. Oops. <laughs> yeah, it's still better. It's still come on. I mean, let's guys. I mean, these movies in general, it'll be very interesting how we like I think with those movies just as a side note, like in 20 years, I don't know if we'll be watching any of those movies. Like, you know, like like all this the the um Captain America movies and all the Iron Man movies. Like, I don't know if the like but I do feel that like this is a movie Angel has fallen is a movie I'll watch 10 years from now as just like a comfort food movie. That I'm just like, I just need a good time. I just want to relax. And I just want to watch something that has a little pepper to it, you know? I, I, and that's one thing that I mark a good movie on is like the moments. How many moments are there? You know, when you watch a movie, you like want to show a friend a movie. So you have them over and there's like usually like five or 10 moments where you're, whether it's a line reading or a special effect, whatever it is, it could be anything if a movie doesn't have a lot of those moments, that's going to stop my rewatchability. But mm. I'll watch Lionheart again and again because there's moments. Yeah, that's a great movie. And so is The Room with Tommy Wiseau. I would watch it over and over. Yeah, I think over. that's like why that Room is actually so popular. There's so many just moments. Even if the whole thing doesn't work, you just want to live in these different scenes. Just that ass shot. Yeah. Well, uh, Chad, thank you so much for coming on to this podcast again. Always such a pleasure to have you here. Oh, I always, this is so much fun. And I love, like, love talking about, like, I love the, the, the uh, concept of this podcast, which is, 
you know, we're adding that line between, hey, this isn't, this isn't supposed to be like so bad it's good, but at the same time, this isn't like Amadeus, you know, like I, <laughs> the ultimate. Like I like, I like that sweet spot. Yes, yeah. the ultimate best movie. I agree. <laughs> Chad, is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, I will be performing on my patio <laughs> at around 3 p.m. So if you uh, are in Studio City yeah, and you want to walk between the buildings, I'll be doing some jokes. Great. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll only say this. I don't know how long this uh, this stay-at-home order is going on. I'd be shocked if you did. Yeah, he has insider information. Uh, would, would you be crazy if I said, guys, I've been told. I can't tell you. The president, the president told you. I am trying on Twitter to, uh, until... The stay-at-home order ends. I am doing one pandemic pun a day of high quality on my Facebook feed and also my Twitter feed. So that's, uh, yeah. I attest to that. I've seen them. If you uh, are listening to this and you are curious, at <laughs> uh, Chetso Time or Jet Chad Demiani on Facebook, uh, be a part of the pun pals. Joe, what about you? Do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah, you can read my comic book that I wrote and had art done for at robotblackbeltchampion.com. The whole uh, first issue is free, 33 pages of fun. Well, thank you, Elizabeth Salute, for artwork. Thank you, Joe Cabello, for co-hosting with me. Thank you, Jay Hunter, for production support. Thank you, Andrew Hayworth, for music. And thank you for listening.